So it, 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 it definitely takes the shine off it. And, you know, if you'd have asked me two years ago, would you do it again? I, I definitely wouldn't have done it. Um, it was too much. It, it took too much from me at that time. Took some, you know, friendships that I thought were wholer than they were, and that put them to the test, and they didn't sadly make it through that period. Um, you know, and even relationships. Um, you know, as you know, I have a what they call a modern family tree. Um, <laughs> and, and going back to my point earlier, you know, my life for twenty years has been work, work, work. Twenty-five years, if I probably, mm. yeah, more than that actually. Because um, I'm racking them up now, being the big five over this year, and that period in particular almost took everything I had and more to try and different when you're fighting for yourself, but when you're fighting for yourself and probably fighting battles that are out of your control and fighting for other people's lives as well who have committed to you and, and are there and they've put an awful yeah. lot on the line. It's yeah, it was a really tough period of time. Hi, this is Gary Apps from My Fish Company, and you're listening to the Travelling Optimist podcast with Steve Odie. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the home of optimism. It's great to have you along for the ride. And if you're listening for the first time, thank you. If you're listening from a download, thank you. In fact, wherever you are listening, thank you. Your support means a lot. And uh, keep spreading the word and sharing the show. I truly appreciate it. Okay, we're back for another dose of sunlight, some light at the end of the tunnel, the sun shining above the clouds. Yes, it's time for the latest episode of The Travelling Optimist. And my guest today is business legend and all-round decent chap, Gary Apps. This is a really incredible conversation with a guy who has consistently reached out to me to find out how I've been over the years, despite having troubles of his own. And he's one of those people that puts others first. And I know he would most likely disagree with me when I say that he is a real leader amongst us. We talk candidly about life growing up in a military family, his father's personal troubles and the extreme lengths he went to to keep his family safe and together. And this would probably be diagnosed as PTSD nowadays. Uh, we talk about the strength of his mum to do whatever it took to provide for the family and how ultimately this experience has shaped Gary's outlook on his own life too. He's one of those guys who is all in with everything that he does and he's felt the negative side of this attribute too and it's a real roller coaster of a conversation that I think every business owner on the planet will relate to. It's entrepreneur life but to the extreme but Gary is happy and whilst Covid has been very difficult it's also given Gary the opportunity to look back and reflect and make some changes. Gary is such a great person he's dripping with integrity and it's such a huge honour for me that he opened up his life on the show. And this Lancashire lad shows us that grit and determination are key elements to staying on track. So this is me and humble business owner, entrepreneur and family man Gary Apps talking about his life up to his 50th year. It's about not backing down from challenges and overcoming them. It's about honesty of wanting to never let his family down. It's about leadership and integrity. But ultimately, it's about a northern lad's desire to focus on those who need it the most, knowing that this is where the magic really happens. All right, let's go. Gary Apps from My Fish Company, welcome to the Travelling Optimist podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, Steve. Good to catch up with you. 
Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, obviously, we've known each other for a few years. You said 15. I thought, wow, that's, that, that's gone quick. Um, but to give a bit of context to everybody listening, Gary is um, a customer of mine who has booked several trips with me uh, around the world uh, at several points in his life. And um, he is a really positive, very optimistic person. I'm very excited to have him on the show. So, Gary, how's life? What, what's, what's life been like for the last couple of months? Uh, it's been a challenge for everybody, I think, hasn't it? So I think generally, as, you, as you've already said there, we've known each other on and off for 15 years, organising trips here, there and everywhere, which tends to be the better times in life, isn't it, when you're booking a holiday. Um, but we haven't had that luxury, have we, over the last year? So no. in all fairness, you know, I think you just have to take what you can out of where you are. I mean, it's been a really big challenge for us from a business-wise um, and mentally it's been a bit of a challenge. But, you know, we've got our health. We're kind of like battling through. So you just have to take it for what it is. It's a bit of a reset. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're, where are you based? So we're up in the uh, West Coast Riviera of uh, Lancashire on the coast up there near Fleetwood, north of there. So. Um, not nice. Bad, not too bad in terms of climate, really. In all fairness, we do okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you always been in in the sort of food industry? Well, to, to, to be honest, yes. Um, I kind of fell into it was fish. Actually, I've always been in fish. Um, I fell into that by accident, really. So, as a teenager, I was um, not particularly overly happy with the educational side because I was a budding footballer kind of had my heart and dreams set on that until sustaining a really bad knee injury at 16 um, which kind of ended my career I had um, sort of the cruciate ligament plastic ligament surgery so I, I kind of spent my teenage years you know I remember my 18th birthday in crutches um, which mm. is never great is it so that kind of 18 to 21 I probably had three or four operations in and out of hospital, in and out of crutches. Um, and then kind of, so I kind of fell out with life a little bit at that point because everything I wanted to do was taken from me. A little mm -hmm. bit lost, um, jumping from job to job, not really sure what I wanted to do. Um, and then a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, asked me to come and help out because they were struggling a little bit. And that was, uh, ironically, delivering fish scottish fish back to scotland so it was like <laughs> how does that work what is that all about um so anyway because you know you're naive you don't really know what that's about and then you understand all the contract catering and the restaurants and all the kind of national contracts that take place so i did a little bit of part-time work there was enjoying a bit of golf i was 20 21 years of age so no big commitments really and then i stood watching a couple of guys in the chiller prepping some of the fish and I stood there literally with my jaw open, looking at these guys fill it. And I was like, I was just blown away, mesmerized by it. It was such a skill and craft. And then they started talking to me about all the different types of fish. Because I, I had no idea. I was just delivering boxes off the back of a van. So they started talking to me about round fish and flat fish and all the different seasonality and different times of the year. It goes through different stages. And I was like, I was mesmerized. It was so, so interesting. Yeah. Um, so I then kind of, I almost got hooked into it really. So it was a, an up and coming, really good business to work with a, a business called M&J Seafoods where I initially started out. 
and I spent spent 17, 18 years with them, um, kind of going through understanding the industry from the start in terms of the fish and prep and what went on there. I delivered, um, tend to have quite a bit of a gift of the gap with the customers. So whenever I went in, I was always kind of making conversation and talking. And if, if ever I would see either an invoice or a bag of prawns or squid or something around, I'd just be like, who are you getting that from? What's that all about? And almost yeah. kind of talk them into, you know, how dare you misplace your loyalties? You should be buying that off us. I was just a van driver at the time. So I, I did pick up a little bit of the gift of the gab. Um, and then picking up the experience that I'd have from the chiller and the kind of knowledge of the product and then speaking to the chefs. They were always really lovely and accommodating, honestly. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily. You know, I kind of just carved my way into into a little bit of the sales and the operational piece. And I suppose being with M&J Seafoods at the time, which was going through a massive expansion piece, a really good business. You know, there were opportunities and doors that opened. And because I was so taken with it, I mm. effectively almost, my first real job, if you like, kind of just ignited a match from within inside that just filled a massive part of my life of just, mm. just being, I won't say obsessed with it, but work was a massive part of my life at that point. It was all centered around work. Unsociable hours, you know, early starts, three and four o'clock, usually there till four, five, six o'clock. You know, you just worked around the clock and it was a 24-hour business, but it was infectious. And the, mm. and the, the business at the time had so many good people in it. Um, I probably learned an awful lot of my life experiences and the things I even to this day hold um, dear to me, uh, including people and friends. Um, I learned a lot of that through that those early days in that um, wonderful business at the time. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, from what you're saying, it's very relationship orientated. So if you build up that relationship with that supplier, with the with the restaurant owner or the hotelier or whatever, yeah. you're pretty much made. And, and <laughs> unless something goes wrong or, or how, what, what was the, is that right? Am I... Well, I think there are, there are definitely elements to that. And not only just from a customer point, but I suppose with any business and anything I've done thereafter, and including the people you're working with, it is about people. It's about relationships and it's about trust. And yeah. you don't always get things right. You do make some mistakes, but it's the desire and commitment to fixing it and the integrity around it as well. Being honest and yeah. having a sensible conversation. Um, nobody likes being given false promises or told something over delivering they're all cliche sayings aren't they but the fact is if if you kind of believe in what you are and what you do as a business and you stand mm. true to that and you execute that with everything you've got then you know usually you're never going to be a million miles away and people i think feed off that when they've got the trust in you and they believe and understand what you're doing um there's a massive value in that so yeah, yeah it's good yeah absolutely when did the feeling of um, I, I wouldn't say disappointment, but when did you start to feel, you know, happier about your life after knowing that you couldn't play, couldn't play football, and you know, your your the, the the love of football. How did you get over that? Did it go quickly? Uh, well, Once you had a job I, and earned some money. <laughs> yeah, it did because I became well. I suppose I became very bitter. I don't follow any football team now. I don't have anything to do with it because I just it's a part of my life that I just. I just cut off and moved on. I, I, I tend to be quite all or nothing in my approach mm. to things. So 
I, I kind of turned off football and I and I focused my sporting attention to golf at the time. So um, literally within the space of 18 months of picking up a, a golf club, I got my first handicap of 5.5, which is the lowest handicap you can be given. Um, and within two years, I was down to two. And it was like, you know, th- all of a sudden that was my passion and kind of where I was throwing my energy outside of work. So, yeah, you, you just tend to be very kind of all or nothing. And, and if something isn't doesn't suit me anymore and it's not for me, I just kind of move on to the next thing. I don't want anything to drag me down or beat myself up about it. You just got on to the next, isn't it? Just move on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it sounds like that is a uh, that philosophy stood you, stood you in good stead. Um particularly now yes you have to you know i suppose we're all different and we will take um take our own kind of view on life based on your experience and what you've done but you know i am who i am and you know i try to be very positive and forward thinking i can't dwell too much because it's not good for me in my headspace i need to be focusing on what's next and on on Mm. the future yeah looking forward yeah Definitely, very much so. So what was it like growing up in, in Lancashire then for you? What was what was life like? Well, uh, strangely, um, I suppose in terms of growing up, my dad was in the forces. So uh, we were a bit nomadic. So we went from kind of the northwest down to Cambridge, across to Germany, spent four years. My, my kind of like six to ten years um, of age in Germany. Um, before mm. coming back to the UK and, you know, strangely coming back, having had your dad serve the British forces in Germany, I was labelled a uh, Kraut or Nazi as a 10, 11 year old coming back because oh, they didn't understand the whole concept around. I lived in Germany because my dad worked in the forces. They thought I was German. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I yeah. kind of had a little bit of a, a battle on my hands there for a, for a couple of years until you establish yourself and begin to understand but. Teenager youngsters are ruthless, aren't they? <laughs> they don't really care. Yeah, trust so me, we, I know that feeling. Yeah, so we, um, so yeah, I had a, you know, and then, you know, my dad came out of the army, uh, didn't have a particularly good time, if I'm honest. Um, he was, but the reason we came out is that they were posted, the next posting was Northern Ireland, uh, which back then, which is probably what, 35 years ago now, that was at the prime of all the things that were going on. So, I think my dad, strangely, was supposed to go on a fishing trip. Um, the four of them, him and three three of his best friends, um, he overslept, didn't make it, and missed the trip. And the three of the friends he was supposed to fish with were blown up in a car bomb. So that kind of wobbled him a bit. Um, he went through a bit of a tough time with that. Um, he also had a couple mm-hmm. of other near misses. Um, my mum said this isn't for me i'm not really loving i'm not really loving this as a uh an army wife so um so he he left the army and i think as as some do i think they come out of the army and they have a little bit of a struggle around their own identity and on what goes on so we had a tough time through teenage years but i struggled a little bit but um you know and i I think having had because he was successful in the army and we always you know had those nice things holidays and car and you know all the trips and all the good things you don't really think about it when you're younger but having struggled I mean mum and dad did struggle through my teenage years and that's where I think you you feel it most you know you don't get the branded clothing you don't get the trainers you can't go on the trips and you know even dinner money or bus money and stuff are, are a yeah. bit of a challenge um mm. I suppose one of the most 
They always say you don't really understand love until you have children of your own. And that sticks with me because you don't really don't. And one of the, I suppose, the most humbling experiences for me as I look back at my teenage years, uh, my mum was, bless her, working her socks off, sometimes doing a couple of different jobs. And I remember one day she had trials at um, Bolton Wanderers. And I think we caught something like four buses to get to this trial. And, you know, it, it seemed like to take an eternity. And I was thinking, you know, she's knackered. She's just done a day at work. We're catching all these buses from, you know, what was then Oldham across to the other side of Bolton, spending money and bus fare that she didn't really have, if I'm honest. And it was a real scrimp and scrape. Um, and then all the buses to come back. And, you know, it's only now you just take it for granted, don't you, when you're a teenager? It's all on a plate and you just have no appreciation of it all. And it's only later in life you reflect and look back at some of the things you do or prepare to do for your children. And I think, you know, uh, I suppose that I won't say insecurity, but that sense of kind of like really battling for everything they had at the time and you know we we, yeah. we did we did go through a tough time and you know at one point we did lose the house it was repossessed they were coming home and you know finding my dog in the garden with the um doors locked from the inside i thought i'd mm. got me wrong key so i'm mm. trying to get into the house thinking what's this all about you know it's a bit of a, a surreal moment so you know those things do impact on you and i think that lack of security and financial security is probably what drove me then in terms yeah. of really my relentless quest to try and succeed at work because you know it really shook me through my teenage years and you want to provide for your family don't you and for me I, I never wanted to be in that situation again where I was um, struggling f and under pressure financially and, and I suppose it still haunts me to this day you know even the risks and the things that you go through you never really feel like anything's solid and secure you always want to be fighting and, and protecting what's yours yeah no absolutely and I think I think the, the the military handle things like that a lot differently now don't they and there's a lot more support for when you come out of the the forces and stuff probably not as much as people require but I think there it I think there is anyway, but yeah, how yeah. did your mum and dad sort of get over that, that phase of their life? How did they come through it? Um, to be honest with you, it, it was tough. Um, so we'll, touch, we'll touch on some nerves here now, Steve. Um, you know, my dad pretty much had a bit of a breakdown. Um, mm. I think he lost his way, almost was trying to fix things through um, – through the nags, through gambling, through, mm. you know, it almost opened up a, a, a den of evil really for him. Um, mm. And then I think, you know, eventually that broke him a little bit. I think he had a little bit of a breakdown and, you know, walked away, went missing. And, you know, he and my mum had a tough time for a little while because, you know, it put a huge strain on the pair of them. And, you know, I think... Uh, of the conversations we've had about it, and it is a bit of a raw subject, um, that those who are really close to me know, and I've talked to them about it. Um, it's not something I talk to anybody about, so the fact that I'm getting into it on here is a bit of a revelation. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I think, as you say, the support or not necessarily knowing that they don't really make that, I say don't make that many decisions in the army, but 
it's it's very different in the comparisons that he shared with me about civilian life and army life mm. um and that transition and it, and in particular the way he came out of the army um you know because effectively he, i think he was pretty much kicked out in the end because he went AWOL because he didn't mm. want to go back he, you know it was a case of well you can't just decide you're going to leave well he did he decided enough mm. was enough so we tried to to um, to escape and you know, got banged up from it from somebody who had a, an impeccable record and was kind of like, you know, gone through the ranks and done okay to suddenly think this isn't for me and I don't care what the consequences are. I'm not putting myself and my family at risk. I'm out. Yeah. So it was kind of almost a little bit, I think, a massive hit to his pride um, and confidence. Mm. And I think as an individual, once that's kind of dented and you're left a little bit on your own and struggling and faltering mm. and then you know, you're going through financial struggles and family pressures. All that's doing all the time is adding to the problem. There's no support. There's no safety net. There's no nothing. It's a case of mm. sink or swim. And sadly, I think too many sink. You know, I know we're getting mm. into the kind of mental health and, you know, rate at which men um, sadly take their own lives. I think, you know, there are probably times where, even though I've not had the conversation with my dad, I think he was probably very close to being extremely low at times. Um, yeah. But he's, he's, you know, they've come through it. They're kind of, you know, married all 50 years now. Um, yeah. And, and kind of hanging in and cracking on. So Yeah, good. Tough. Good. I mean, you know, actually, you're always going to find that there's things that you can personally learn from it as well. And, you know, it struck me there that you, from the security side of it in terms of financial security it's something that's sort of embedded into you yeah almost really deeply (laughs) yeah 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 very Mm. paranoid about it um Mm. so and and i suppose you know bringing that forward to you know my time um with a couple of big very secure corporate businesses quite a responsible role well paid um took almost putting all that at risk to going out on your own which was um you know it was a bit of a dilemma and it's a case of you know do you want to risk all that you know so yeah that was when did you go out on your own did you start on your own again uh 2015 yeah okay Um, so yeah i left from kind of being as i said you know 2021 through to 45 as i was 44 um i'd only had two jobs um, and they were t- with two big seafood companies in the UK. Yeah. Um, so to make that decision in the end. So I suppose that, you know, the fact I've had a 17-year job and then gone from that job to another job for five, six years kind of says I was, you know, it was all about stability. It was all always about, um, you know, that security piece. Um, yes. So to kind of go alone was a, was, a, was a big choice, a big commitment. What was the catalyst for that decision, though? Because that, that uh, to me, from your perspective as an outsider looking in that's a massive 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 decision yeah Yeah, huge and i I think i was hugely committed to the business i was working for at the time um and i'll I'll try and keep this anonymous because it did get a little bit um did get a bit punchy towards the end um yeah but the one of my bosses you know lied to me and when you as i referred to earlier when you lose that trust and integrity it really does undermine in any relationship we've got, whether it be personal, whether it be from a transactional point, customer, supplier, or friends, or any of that. If you don't trust the people around you, if you can't have that kind of 
relationship, then for me, it's a real deal breaker. So to be in a really senior role and to not have your back covered and not to be that honest and integrity piece that really almost crushed my world at the time and then started me wondering, you know, in terms of how the business was being run and one or two other bits, really questioned whether I wanted to be in that organisation and, in all fairness, you know, did I want to put myself in the same position again, working for people who perhaps didn't have the same integrity or the same work ethic and all the rest of it as I did. So saw a bit of a gap in the market, thought, you know, there's nothing but almost like big corporate businesses. Now, these two businesses that I've worked for have been bought out by big multinational companies that potentially were just more about a balance sheet than they were about the people and the product. So it fundamentally changed what that meant to me. Um, and it was always about the relationships and the people and the people around me, you know, and having a really positive, good working environment. Work hard, yes, play hard. A lot of my friends at the time are people that I'd worked with. And, you know, um, actually, when I when when I had moved businesses, I had people relocate through the country working together because we trusted each other and we knew what we were capable of together as a team and, you know, worked them hard to do it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, did you start? Did you get any accounts? Did you start from scratch? Nothing, and then you had to literally hustle, or did you have some little quiet conversations just before? Not that I don't admit that, but did you have, did you have things lined up? Um, no, I had a I had a I suppose a vision and an understanding as to what we could do. I had a CV and a pedigree from previous, so people knew what we were capable of doing. So I effectively had to commit to building a business and then putting the proposition out there. So, you know, effectively that's what we did. And, you know, there's no bigger test to, I suppose, selling yourself and committing to what you're capable of doing. So that's exactly what we did. And we went out and, you know, for all intents and purposes, we, we started and created something fairly remarkable at the time. And again, it was, it was about the people and the product and giving that personal touch and the expertise and, almost raising the bar again, which in some ways with the lack of that and the focus on balance sheets previously, I think they'd lost their way a little bit. So yeah, it opened a little bit of an opportunity and a niche for us to really jump in and take a bit of a storm, which we did. Yeah. Did it upset yeah, yeah. the apple cart? If I'm honest, it did cause some ruffles. And there's- so who were your main clients then? Who were you? So who were buy who was buying from you? Um, so we're very fortunate. One of the first customers that we took on board was Booths. Um, for those in the northwest, will know that as a really high-class um, small family supermarket. Where they, even though they don't like to be called supermarkets, um, more like a, a sort of fine grocer, or suppose mm. what they would branded as. They always were called the Waitrose of the North. Um, I suppose rightly so because of the product and you know kind of stores and um, their produce stroke purchasing is all very niche and very um, specialized and high quality it's it's a fabulous brand lovely business yeah um so Did we you do know that them before That's, sorry yeah I'd, I'd dealt with them before okay um and then you know hotels and restaurants throughout the northwest you know ranging from kind of fine dining hotels restaurants down to you know just good average kind of mid-tier people who just want to serve good food and mm. you know anybody who could sell a reasonable amount of fish and seafood because it's not for everybody um you know that was kind of our our market space at the time yeah yeah brilliant so what what are you sort of looking back then from 2015 we, we, we won't get into 2020 just yet 
what are you, what are your thoughts? What was so? What are your thoughts reflecting back? You know, what were the successes? What did you learn from that time? Because the, obviously, running your own business is something. Is and and when you're working for somebody else, you know, you've got a a, a paycheck at the end of the month, and you know, yeah. it's it's almost guaranteed. When you're working for yourself, th- that dynamic changes slightly, doesn't it? And you've got to worry about other people. Yeah. How, how brutally honest do you want me to be? <laughs> <laughs> be brutal. Come on. Be brutal. Um, I think for the first, definitely the first three years, I wondered what on earth I'd done. It scared the living daylights out of me. Um, the financial pressures and the stress around people that had committed to and come to work for you. Mm. And I think we were we were under um, underfinanced initially, so the pressure was on, not least from the competition as well. So mm. it was sleepless, um, and probably it changed who I was. And from this almost a little bit carefree, you know, the world's your oyster. We can go and conquer, do anything. Um, without the constraints and the financial stresses and strains of not knowing whether you're going to make it through the week really changed my outlook on how you can run a business, how you should do. And and if I'm honest, I got lost for a while. I was consumed by the stress um, and that overwhelming need to survive because there were some Mm. really hairy moments. We got involved in a little bit of litigation from my previous, which added, you know, no end of pressure to it as well mm. you know, springboard injunctions high court world course of justice all that kind of stuff all adds pressure into that so it 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 definitely takes the shine off it and you know if you'd have asked me two years ago would you do it again i, I definitely wouldn't have done um it was too much it it took too much from me at that time took some you know friendships that I thought were holier than they were and that put them to the test and they didn't sadly make it through that period. Um, you know, and even relationships, um, you know, as you know, I have a, what they call a modern family tree. Um, <laughs> and, and going back to my point earlier, you know, my life for 20 years had been work, 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 25 years. In fact, probably mm. yeah, more than that, actually. Because um, I'm racking them up now, being the big five over this year. And that period in particular almost took everything I had and more to try and different when you're fighting for yourself, but when you're fighting for yourself and probably fighting battles that are out of your control and fighting for other people's lives as well who have committed to you and, and are there and they've put an awful mm. lot on the line. It's, yeah, it was a really tough period of time. And then, you know, we were kind of like just getting through the worst of it, taking on, if I'm honest, more debt and borrowing just to keep the wheels turning, almost, you know, chucking petrol on the fire type scenario, but um, figuring, you know, just get through this last or just get through this. And we just kept chasing and chasing. Um, And then, you know, as we get to this kind of year four end of it's like, beginning to think actually we probably can make this we're gonna you know we're gonna be okay um mm. not you know a long way off being successful and doing anything it was more about just again security about stabilizing about giving the business the business a little bit of um 
fat in the system to be able to look after itself rather than being such a needy needy business and a needy child in a way um and that kind of took us up to we went through you know i think you know one of the reflections at that point and i've talked a lot about the downside here but i'll just finish off on the downside is as i said to you i lost myself the things that made um, me how i was or made me enjoy the work that i did and made me part of the team in the way we were the way we all interacted Mm. um i was almost paralyzed with by pressure and this, you know, probably you talk about it, don't you? Or you uh, once you've been through it and understood it, where this pit of your stomach, almost overwhelming sense of just, you're almost taking your breath away. And some of the simplest, easiest of decisions or things, you know, I almost became unable to make those decisions. I was just a little bit rabbit in the headlights. Mm. You know, so that that's some of the, the downsides to it. But then, you know, you think about the lens that, people went to 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 make it work and their kind of efforts and their contributions and you know the fact we're still here and we're fighting through and we'll, we'll get into 2020 mm. in a bit but you know we're still punching and we're still going thanks to an awful lot of people who you know are, are still with me now and who sadly are no longer with us through all the trials and tribulations of the last four or five years but you know and then you know we definitely changed the competition a little bit in the area we upped everybody's game everybody had to be better to compete in the market space i think for the standard wage and uh, earning potential in fleetwood i think probably rose that by 20 percent because we'd attracted you know if you like some really good people and all of a sudden those that were kind of almost hobson's choice if they don't like it you know on basic wage then they had no choice all of a sudden there was a new boy on the block that was offering better conditions better wages and it became a little bit of a bonfire and a bit of a fight for you know paying people what they were worth and what the job was worth and Mm. giving them a sense of value so um in that sense it did it did fleetwood and a load of people a lot of good stuff um they probably don't realize it themselves it became a little bit of a fight in the area um you know you're either on you if you like you're either a red or a blue um yeah so um but overall um a lot of people did okay out of it and the customers got a better offering for it better service and you dust yourself down and kind of think about okay it was a tough time we've all done you know, we've all served our time and probably had good experiences, bad experiences. But at the end of the day, you know, we changed the face of fish and seafood in the northwest uh, and mm. put our name on the on the map, which is, you know, was quite a significant thing to do. The rate we grew and what we did was was commendable, really, and that was thanks to all the people that were there at the time. They they did a really outstanding job, despite the fact I was. <laughs> I was kind of feeling it at the time, if I'm honest. Well, yeah, you you, you probably were feeling it, but I think you're doing a bit. So you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice, really, because I think you took you took the gamble, you took the risk. It's what a good friend of mine, Justin Justin Breen, calls entrepreneur life. And one of his the 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 key elements of you, you know if you're an entrepreneur is when you 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 get that financial dread. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, you think. Oh my God, where, where is, where's, the, I've got to pay this bill. You know, that yeah. feeling in your, in the pit of your stomach. Yeah. To wake up in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't know, he doesn't know one entrepreneur that, and there's, there's several others and he's got a great book actually. It's called Brepic. It's, Epic, it's part of that. being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Brepic. Um, it's a great book. 
brilliant book um, by Justin Breen. And um, no, brilliant. And, and uh, what you've just summarized, though, is is really a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners go through and, they, you know, and um, I, I think sometimes it's very easy to think you're alone. And I know we've had a conversation like this over the last year and a half. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's it's very easy to um, to sit there and think, oh, gee, you know, it's, this is all rubbish. But actually what you've done is you've made a massive difference to a lot of people's lives. So, you know, I'm thinking you need to give yourself a pat on the back. I'll let you do that, Steve. You don't get many of those. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what, what have you learned then? So this is the thing. You know, what have you learned from, from that experience? What would you do differently? Funny, because... I kind of asked myself that question in preparation for the call. Um, what would I do differently? And it's, it's probably something you kind of get into conversations with, don't you, over a glass of wine or a couple of beers, around a dinner table with a few friends. But of all the things, you know, broken relationships, you know, family being complicated, work, etc. I don't think, for me, you can do anything differently. Because if I'd have done anything differently, I wouldn't be where I am. So mm. it's it's about... Yes, appreciating, understanding that, and what can you do going forward? So I wouldn't change mm. anything. Love my children to bits. Um, love the life I've got now in terms of family, and you know, I'm as I've said, the big five zero this year. I'm going to get married at Christmas the first time. Um, so I'm I'm rather a mature groom, aren't I? At, at fifty. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'd change anything, but the one thing I'm I'm doing now is I'm having a little bit of time out um, to just reflect. So you know, some may call it a midlife crisis. I always vowed to myself when I got to fifty. Um, I always I always felt you know I'd be lucky if I got to fifty. Was <laughs> how I was always feeling at the rate I was working. So. Now I've got to 50, I kind of want to have a little bit of sabbatical, a little bit of time out, a little bit of focus on me because all the hours and hours and hours at work, all the time in the car, sat almost, you almost stiffen up to the position of the driving seat, don't you? To just think about, you know, the next 10, 15, 20 years um, as to what Mm. I really want to do with that. Um, Because, Mm. you know, having re- focused my life a little bit and spending more time with family um with my good lady hazel and between us the five children we have and raging from uh, 21 this year so nicholas is 21 in june um jonathan was 18 a couple of months ago so there's three big birthdays for the boys isn't it 50 21 and 18 all in the same year yeah um, body year. and and then we've got you know sophie and harvey and, and amy who's down at eight so we've got 21 down to eight so looking at i suppose more what you know what you want to do or what you want to achieve in life and that's not just for me it's always been motivated and driven by security and finance and i suppose i've always put myself last my health and mm. um, my own well-being and family time and i think i want to just readdress that balance and balance and you know and I, and I say balance and I need to figure out what that's like. So you can't go from one extreme to the other because I think what COVID's taught us, and we're getting into that dreaded word already, what COVID has probably taught many people, including me, is I think everybody had this desire and passion to retire and everybody's had a 
potentially a bit of a taste of what that means if you've got nothing to do and it's not necessarily the best place yeah. to be. So so actually, whoa, I don't want the retirement. You know, it's, it's that balance about a little bit of purpose or a lot of purpose, depending on, you know, professionally, um, health-wise and family and all that stuff. Just So I, I'm giving myself some time um, just to Good. think about that. And, and a catalyst for that, you know, has been, you know, you get to this stage in life and you start to begin to think about your mortality and, you know, things don't necessarily work the same. Your body starts to creak and ache in places that, um, mm. that it didn't do before, you know, and then you perhaps sadly have a few friends who are struck by the big sea or taken away in some other ways. And, and sadly the worst price to pay is that they lose a life through, you know, cancer and all the rest of it. It really just say, well, you have no God-given right to plan your life for the next 10 years because actually there's no saying you'll get there. So, you know, for me, be a little bit more selfish and live the life you want to live today, tomorrow, and get on with it because, you know, you just don't know, do you? No, you don't. Absolutely. And also, I think I reiterate this. I think you're very, you're quite harsh on yourself, but reflecting back a lot of uh, most people don't reflect and it's actually a really important exercise to do it's it's really liberating actually i i i found that last year completely liberating and um it gives you it gives you perspective it gives you perspective on actually do you know what things aren't quite as bad as all that well you you, you, know, you think- are yeah you are um number one a wonderful listener so i know we've had a couple of conversations in the past and it and it does feel like being able to sit on the armchair and be uh, almost having therapy. Um, so that's great. But you've always got a good positive spin on life. So that's really refreshing and good. Um, but yeah, the, the, the reflection piece is important. I probably didn't get the opportunity to do it last year because um, I wasn't sure we were going to make it through as a business. Um, mm. So you just... Again, and I get back to the financial stuff, you know, I thought it was all going to be taken away. And that almost, mm. again, you know, creased me, paralyzed me to think, you know, everything I've worked and done and all I've tried to do and, you know, through no fault of anybody's, you know, you're going to have the rug pulled from under your feet. So you do mm. get a little bit bitter and twisted about it all and kind of like feel a little bit unjust with what's gone on. And there'll be many people much worse off who sadly have lost their life and all the rest of it. But so I've only just kind of come through that at Christmas and started to really think about this next year and, and, and the, mm. the time ahead, really. So I haven't got any answers yet, um, but, you know, we're, we're giving well, it a thought. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, the other thing as well is to always remember that everything happens for a reason. And I think, you know, your answer to my question about um, would you do anything differently was actually no i wouldn't is is a really i mean that is an incredible answer um you know most people would reel off oh yeah you know i'd probably do this this and this you know um and uh if i'd given the chance again and they wouldn't be that whereas i felt your answer was extremely honest a really genuine from the from the heart answer and i love that i really do yeah, um, it's, um, you made a massive sacrifice as well, though, didn't you? So I think, sorry, you know, I, I, this is ta- uh, this wasn't actually. We've gone down a, ri- a real rabbit hole here, haven't we? But yeah. um, your sacrifice over the years has cost you quite a lot in your life, and you know, to realise that now, I don't think there's anything wrong in what you're doing. Absolutely not. In fact, it's one hundred percent the right thing to do, in my opinion. But that obviously, other people might have a different opinion. But yeah, you know, I think. 
that sacrifice has led to this point. And I think the decision that you'll make, the decisions that you're making now are absolutely 100% the right ones. Well, you know, as you say, yeah, everyone is entitled to an opinion uh, and everybody's opinion's right because it's theirs. Uh, it doesn't necessarily change facts or do anything. It's an opinion and everybody's entitled to it. But, mm. um, yeah, in terms of not changing anything previously, it's a, <laughs> as you do in your life, if, if anything was different, then that may well mean that I'm not here today with Hazel and my children in probably the best personal position in terms of feeling fulfilled and and that mm. whole family unit as I've ever been. So I wouldn't want to mm. change anything to jeopardise that. So, you no. know, it is. And what, what is. what's made you feel that way? Um, I suppose the right person in, in Hazel. And you get to a stage in life where, you know, you begin to, or I do, um, appreciate life and my mortality more than I ever did. It, I, I often refer to this when I'm talking to people in, I think, we're born the wrong way round. I think when we're young and have the body and we're carefree and we do what we like, we don't appreciate what it is. And it's only older do you realise how precious and how you should have looked after yourself. So really, you should your mind should be in your young body and your young body in your older mind. It's like it's the wrong way round. Uh, by the time you re- <laughs> by the time you realise oh, all the things you took for granted. You didn't know it at the time yeah. because you didn't have that experience and you just abuse it all when you're younger and pay the price for it later where, you know, it, it's it's a conflict. Yeah. It's the wrong way around, definitely. Absolutely. So how has the pandemic affected you? Um, hotels and restaurants, eight, 75, 80% of what we did. You know, as I say, we we're kind of just coming out of the fourth year into the fifth year thinking we've just kind of, you know, this, this might actually, we might just about get through. We might be okay. And then bank, you know, um, it was funny because um, I was over in um, Turkey. Um, I think the first week holiday I've had in the last five years. Um, I think we've had a few conversations. I think I, I've snuck an odd weekend in here and there, but that's been it. And that was with a very close friend of mine, Mike, who is, he's 75 this year. I always remember that because... I remember his 50th because I was 25. So I was exactly, he was exactly double my age. Uh, and he got some stick for that that night. Uh, but anyway, he's a, he's a lovely, lovely man um, who is, you know, going through a really tough time. He lost his wife to cancer, what is 10 years ago now. You know, he was diagnosed with some form of TB, prostate cancer, skin cancer, you know, all in the last 18 months, um, two years. So, We'd arranged a boys trip for a week to go and play golf, which I thought was potentially going to be his, you know, his last months. Um, so it was a case of I just got to get away with him and have some time with him. I love him, love him dearly. And thankfully he's still fighting and, you know, we're kind of hoping to come out of COVID and get mm-hmm. another trip in. Um, yeah. He stopped all his medication. He's kind of happy to, to fight it himself, um, but he, he knows the decision he's made there. So it was, sorry, and the reason I'm talking about that is, this was middle end of February last year. And I think the first little bits of snippets of reports were going on around the world. We were talking about it over a beer in, in the hotel having had a game golf. And, you know, at the time, everybody's dismissing it. It's like, what is that nonsense all about? And then it started mm. to come real because I think we came back on like the 28th of February. And yeah. for the first time, we'd seen people with masks coming back through the airport, having seen nothing so far. And it was like coming back into Manchester Airport. It was like, 
what, hang on, what is this all about? So it was like a real like shock, at, you know, you're thinking everybody's overreacting all the rest of it. And that was 28th of February. And lo and behold, within the space of two weeks, the whole world's changed. Um, yeah. So that was a real kind of like scary moment. You didn't realise just the significance as to what was going on. Nobody did at the time, obviously, mm. would they? Mm. Probably, we probably all would have done something differently if we didn't have. So, yeah, business kind of like came to an absolute halt, scared me to death. We had 62 staff at the time. And I remember as we'd gone into lockdown, we, well, basically, as I kind of said, you know, I've got enough money to get us through the next three months at X percent of salary, you know, regardless of. And, you know, they all signed up and committed to it. Um, mm. And at the time, that was 40%. I said, I've got enough to pay us all for 40% for the next three months. And God only knows where where we go, you know. For those that are in, are in. And those that can't and don't want to do, then, you know, best of luck. But I can't do any more that I'm doing. I'm laying it all out on the line. And we kind of you know, we worked through it. We were fortunate enough to have booze still trading through that period. So, you know, we, we kind of had a bit of a rotor and rotated the whole staff into a kind of in and out situation because it was a tough time for everybody, wasn't it? Um, but trying to give people consistency in some way or get them to work. I think initially, the, you know, I just want to be at home in my garden drinking beer because the sun's out. Um, soon mm. wore off when people actually got over that initial phase and actually this is a bigger problem than just four or five weeks off work and everything's going to go back to normal so you know we we lost um we lost an awful lot um bad debt uh restaurants closing we lost a lot of staff um i lost a lot of staff that started um, the business with me in terms of their time frame um it just became a really difficult place for everybody because nothing was normal nothing was the same so in terms of trying to get through we did everything we possibly could for the team trying to keep them going um and again you know they just see it from an insular point of view don't they it's just like why am i in why am i doing this shift why is he not you know don't necessarily think about the bigger picture um but i think over time they began to and you know financially you know we've borrowed a substantial amount of money to get through because for me there's too much going on been too much hard work and commitment i've invested too much both financially and personally to not get through mm. um so whilst a significant lump in the way of the civils loans that have been going on you know it's a chunky number but i'm taking the view that once this is over we have a good enough solid enough team and business that you know we're in it for the long term it's not a sprint we've got Mm. you know 10 15 20 years ahead of us to try and recover and shake it down you know some people yeah. haven't got that opportunity and haven't got the choice both from a business or financial situation so you know again you know as i said earlier i can feel like i'm repeating myself in some way with some of the things i'm saying but i can't change what's gone on and i have to accept what it is and i just have to focus about what we do going forward so you know we've taken money to get us through that period and Again, it's focusing to reshape, come out of this the best possible business we can, perhaps a little bit leaner, meaner, perhaps a slightly different offering, not quite as what it was before, but with more of a view to survive and get through because I don't think anybody really knows what the new normal is going to be. So we just have no. to be ready for it and adapt as best we can. So. That's awesome. I think it's the only way you can be, actually, to be fair. So, you know, 
it's a fantastic uh, philosophy that you you've got there. So let's 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 just change it up a little bit. You know, we both share your, a love. We're we going to talk <laughs> about your new bike day. <laughs> we're going to be talking about bikes, right? So now you've only been cycling, like road cycling, for a couple of years, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I told you that story about um, coming back from the weekend. I think it was my first weekend away um, in Mallorca with um, Hazel. We've gone away for um, three or four nights. Lovely hotel in Mallorca. Came back weighing just over, I think I just tipped over 100 kilos. Oh, God, I was grumpy with myself. And that was, you know, the, the build-up of the last four or five years with just yeah. no sleep and crap. I won't, I won't even say obsessive eating. I did drink a lot. I think I turned to drink more than I ever should have done. And I came back off this weekend away and was just like angry and grumpy. And I opened the garage door and Hazel had a hybrid bike in the garage and I saw it, and I just got on it and rode off into the sunset in a tantrum. In a tantrum. Um, and I came back an hour and a half later and thought, actually, that was quite good. I quite enjoyed that because it was like a, I don't know, a little bit of relief or release for yeah. me in some way. It was just like, okay, so the next day I did it again, similar route. Um, and again, I, I got a little bit of a kick from it. It was almost like a bit of a euphoric moment. And it was like, and then I had my road bike in there from probably – 20 years previous when I'd done uh, a sprint triathlon. And I, I loved bikes and and stuff from a much younger days. And so I, I took that out and then, you know, did that for a couple of weeks. And then I think I'd got a puncture and I couldn't fix it, I think, for one reason or another. So Hazel had a road bike as well. And I got on that. And obviously mine was 20 years old and she's got this carbon bike. And I got on it and I remember going out and coming back and saying, that's cheating. <laughs> my, my big old aluminium thing felt like a boss in comparison to that so um so we actually started to ride together a little bit she had a charity event at beaver brooks that was like a 40 mile bike ride for charity so yeah. we we did that together hazel and her friend anna always had done that previously so i said okay well i want to do it let's do it together so i did that and then i well, like i said to you before i'm all or nothing i kind of get get into them a little bit and then i signed up for the manchester the blackpool bike ride 60 miles so and then i'm going out on my bike and getting into that and then you know there's a group of um guys fairly local the whatsapp group says Polton bees the b stands for beep because they're a bunch of kind of really fit iron men 10 15 years 20 years younger than me who just love to go out and do between 60 and 100 miles every week and smash each other to bits <laughs> um and so you know me at, f- at 48 at the time 100 kilos only just got into cycling these guys are like whippets and smashing the bike and i was fat lad at the back and I was hanging on for dear life, but because I've got a bit of a competitive edge, it kind of spurred me on and I kept going and kept going. And, you know, it, 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 it's, you, you enjoy the banter and you yeah. don't like getting dropped and you're hanging on. And the hills yeah. were always a killer. You know, some of these guys, yeah. you know, Jimmy, God hate him. Um, you know, he said he's put he's put a bit of weight on and he's probably weighing 73 kilos. Now, carrying a 30-kilo kettlebell up a hill, as well you know, is, <laughs> is probably not not the greatest thing, the weight difference between he and I at the time. But it just went from there and you just you just become, not, not just for the banter and the camaraderie and the team and the competitive element, but I actually loved going out and doing solo rides too. Um, mm. I think for all the pressures and all the experiences previously, it was a place I could go to and 
you know, if it, even if it had 40, 50, 60 miles and you're out for two, three, four, five hours, however long, you actually don't really think about anything. And people find that hard to believe. How can you be on the bike for four hours and not think about anything when all you're doing mm. is turning your feet? Sometimes that, that's all you are doing. You're just turning your feet and taking in the views and just, mm. for me personally, it's almost like a real head cleansing euphoric moment i love having um one ear pod on um just so i can hear a little bit of music but still be aware of what's going on the road around me but yeah listening to some really nice music up in the hills and seeing some of the scenic routes and stuff is just and i genuinely mean this it just blow me away and yeah the more i learn about the cycling community and the competitiveness and just the sport in general is i wish i wish i'd taken to it much younger because it's, I find it just an incredible sport. I love it. I really do. I totally concur with that, and I, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly in agreement. And the, the, interestingly, though, it sounds like you're, it was a bit like me, or, or a lot of people who ride bikes as a child learn to drive, and then that's it. The, the bike goes in the garage. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. <laughs> and it wasn't until, oh, God, 2012 that I'd really – picked up another bike and and started really just really enjoying going out and, and getting fresh air and coming back with a real a real buzz tired but really happy it was it's a weird sensation yeah it's 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 a euphoric exhaustion you know you yeah you're not you're not physically battering your body and yet you're putting it through you know to exhaustion at times but in a in a good in a good way it's a, yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's, a, yeah. it's a really strange situation, but yeah. In fact, I've just it got is a, strange. I've just got a um, a friend um, stroke um, somebody who I do a little bit of work with, Max. Um, he's a former Team GB pole vaulter, um, right. so he's a seriously strong athlete. You know, he's well, in fact I don't want to misquote his age now, but at best he might be thirty. He might not even be thirty. So but I think he might be twenty-eight <laughs> actually. Anyway, so. He is incredibly strong and fit. And yet, as I tell him, a 49, soon to be 50-year-old, takes him out and gives him a spanking on the bike. So as you can appreciate, he's really competitive, keen to get back into um, sport in some way. And he's suddenly got this. I've given him the cycling book. So he's come out with me (laughs) on a few rides now. I'm talking to him about training. And he's so frustrated that pound for pound, he's like this lean muscle machine. And yet I I take him out on the bike and I drop him at any given point on a very short, sharp sprint. You know, we're probably neck and neck, um, but over any kind of distance and anything like that. And he's like so frustrated. So he's he's (laughs) mad. He's bad because all of his fitness, the fitness on a bike is something totally different, totally different um, system altogether. So he's he's chronically now i get i get three or four whatsapps through the week where it's basically a copy of his training schedule so look at my my what back workout and i've been talking to him about zones and stuff in fact we're doing a tour of lancashire ride this sunday for it's 100 miles probably about 300 people doing it um so it'll be his first 100 mile ride along with another um lizzie who's keen into cycling recently so yeah it just it just gets you doesn't it but no matter what fitness level you've had before it's totally different so it's great absolutely no it's so fantastic i love it i mean you know 
it's very hard to put it into words, but I was trying to dis- trying to describe it the other day to somebody, and I was saying they're saying, "What about going uphill? You know, that must that was you know, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to put yourself through that that pain or that effort?" And I'm going, "It's it's weird, and I can understand your viewpoint, but it's it's a rather a, it's a rather ethereal feeling actually, because you, it's just you and and your you know your power your pa- your own power and your mind." and your mindset and it's very it's a very interesting exercise actually cycling up a hill you know and and the, the feeling of euphoria when you get to the top as particularly if it's a big hill you almost become unless you're actually competing but even then i think if you're competing in a group you almost form your own bubble you get into a zone don't you where your yeah. body and your mind is focused on just getting mm. through this particular challenge mm. and it's and, and not in a not in a a negative way it's almost like your mind and your body wants to ra- rise to the challenge you're setting mm. yourself so yeah. it's like you a battle against yourself isn't it it's, it, yeah. it is i i remember i was at a golf charity event for booths a couple of years ago and i remember sitting at the dinner table and it's only recently i've recalled this um situation where the guy i was sat next to when i asked him what he did because he didn't actually play on the day in golf he just came to support the event i was like well you know what do you do and he's like i'm into my cycling you know i love just going out on my bike you know i'm on my bike four or five times a week and me and my wife will go away on holiday and we'll do cycling holidays. And I love nothing more than doing 60, 70, 80 miles and talked about all these hills and mountains. And I just didn't get it, you know, and I'm like listening to him. And I could see he was so passionate about it. And I was like, mm. just the penny just didn't drop. And, I, and this was just before I'd, I'd cycled. And I'm like, you know, it just wasn't going in. And I no. think until you actually just, just do it, it just opens up something that, I think most people should just experience. They should just do it. Oh yeah, no, totally. Yeah. And of so course, go, now hills are going to feature a big part of your life this summer, aren't they? Because you're you're doing a, a the tour oh, the Tour de France well. <laughs> in advance of the of the the main the main tour, right? Yes, so one week ahead of the pros with the Tour de France, so the governing body ASO, the official organizers of the Tour de France, for the first time ever are the official partners of Cure Leukemia in the UK. Uh, and they've agreed a three-year deal. So uh, we're doing it this year. There are places available next year and the year after. And day for day, stage by stage, by hotel, um, with a fully supported crew of 25. So the 25 riders with a 25 support crew going to be doing all 2,300 miles. I say in 21 days. It's actually 23 days, but you get two rest days. And, you know, that's just you know over a hundred you'll know over a hundred miles a day and it's yeah. not even a hundred miles a day as you've already said the hills the mountains so forty-five thousand meters of climbing which you know just sounds like a number i suppose to those not um really involved in cycling now but um i promise you that is well they say it's the biggest and toughest endurance event on the planet by the pro cyclists and yeah. some fat old bloke at the back who has lost a little bit of timber <laughs> since then, but not um, not so fat now. Yeah, surely. not so fat. No, um, not hit me weight target yet, but I definitely need to focus my mind because it's fifty nine <laughs> days to go. That um, yeah, that day for day, stage for stage, that whole you know load of intensity and pressure is a big challenge for the pros. Never mind these yeah. twenty five cyclists who've all got their own kind of reason for doing it and you know jeff thomas the former um england footballer etc yeah um, he's done yeah. a few times now he's a 
leukemia survivor, which is what um, yeah. inspired him to start it. And he's a patron of the charity. And it was only when I decided, and I suppose I'll, I'll talk about why I decided to do it. It was only when you Again, a bit like cycling, you become exposed to and understand a little bit more about something that then just opens up new thoughts and new understandings around it. So back in October, November, I was already planning my 50th year. Um, I've actually organised a 50th trip. We're going to do the N2 Challenge, which is there's about 20 of us currently. You're welcome to come along, Steve. Doing the N2 Challenge, which is from Lisbon down to Faro. Um, so mm. it's a fully fully supported event for my 50th. And then as I'm kind of thinking about that, I'd seen this advertised, thought, wow, that would be an amazing event. The £30,000 challenge around the sponsorship was the biggest challenge at the time, mm. uh, as well as the physical aspect. Um, so I debated it and thought about it. and you know, opted not to take it any further. I thought the sponsorship was probably outside of my comfort zone. It was a real pressure point. And then at the end of November, I lost a friend stroke ex-colleague, um, a guy called Dave Town, to leukemia. And it seemed like a bit of a coincidence and a bit of a, you know, like, for me, a coincidence is not necessarily a nice thing to say about, about the passing of Dave. It was his second experience with leukemia. He'd been in remission and recovered from probably 12 years previous and had battled and had a tough time. And I felt like, you know, I'm 50 this year. It was time for me to... He, he did a lot for me in business. When I was suffering at some low points, you know, he helped me. We, we talked a bit. He gave us our kiln for smoking fish at my fish company. So I owed him a little bit of that. And then we decided, I decided to, you know what, I'm reticent and kind of unsure about committing to the event because of this sponsorship challenge and the physical one. But if you're diagnosed with leukemia, you don't get a choice. You know, you have to mm. face and dig deep and and get on with it which is effectively when David passed away and it was kind of getting close towards Christmas that I was driving my daughter home that I just thought you know what you know in terms of having this reflection time and thinking I thought I've never really done anything significant for others you know in terms of searching and doing and one or two other bits like I say it's been work 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 but you know as I as I sign up for it um and get introduced to the team um i then get to talk to jeff thomas and i, I see his he's got some um he's got he's written a book about it he's got some stuff on youtube he talks about his story mm. and then you see some of the other team and you know there's a couple of other um leukemia survivors actually doing it steve Faulkner and one or two others and then you become exposed to how prolific it is within children and that just opens up a whole new world of exposure that if I'm honest, even now, we met some friends at the weekend, having just been allowed to meet up with friends outside. So we had a bite to eat outside, and I broke down in tears trying to share some of the stories around some of the youngsters that are going through and fighting for their lives as we speak. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, you know, for all my ailments and challenges around the fundraising, you know, in particular, there's um, there's a young boy, Hugo, uh, you know, I'm sure Mark won't mind me sharing his story. Mark is um, a good friend of the CEO of Cure Leukemia um, and has done, you know, four, five, six events over the years, over the last five, six years, just because his good friend is is there. So he wants to kind of pitch in and help out. And sadly, his son, Hugo, five, uh, was diagnosed back in October. And, you know, as I'm getting into February, March of this year and I'm signed up, we begin to learn of these stories and I learn of Hugo and and he's five years of age and he's now just going really through his sixth round of chemo and bone scrapes. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking. Um, mm. And even, even then, you know, 
Uh, we had an update and a, an email from Mark where he says, you know, even for them, you know, they they struggle. When Hugo was diagnosed and he went into hospital, there were children there ringing the bell and leaving and, and have recently gone back whilst he's in having treatment. And, you know, sadly it's come back and the story about a young girl who was going to go out to the Far East to receive one-off treatment that sadly had been told that she needs to go and spend the last few days at home. And you think, wow. Um, mm. And if you're a family man, as I said earlier, you know, you don't really appreciate or understand unconditional love until you have children of your own. And that's really touched a nerve for me. And that's really driven me on to say, right, you know, I've got to dig deep and I want to do this and I want to do it. Yes, initially it was for in remembering Dave and a little bit of testimony to him, but more importantly, and again, there's a theme into it, I want to try and help those who are in care and in terms of the research and the nurse care and trying to combat this disease, everything I possibly can to try and do something about it in some way. So, yeah, yeah my 50th year and my year of coming where I need to try and do do as much as they can for others in some way so oh it's an incredible thing and i, I you know you're, you're going to smash it i know you because that's the way you're you're made up of it's going to be an incredible journey and I, i'd really love for us to get back together after it and just talk about that that experience purely just about that experience if you don't mind if you're if you're uh, up for uh, it that would be amazing if i get through it Stephen, i'd love to <laughs> <laughs> now how much money have you raised so far so I, I, obviously, when, when I signed up, um, so I'm, I'm about three and a half thousand pounds out of the thirty. Um, I haven't really asked my industry as yet because we've gone through a really tough time financially. So I kind of feel like you know, ideally, we wanted to get to the thirty thousand before we went, and it's the nineteenth of June. But I think I've just got to extend the timeline and just work through the summer. You know, I don't want to ask customers, I don't want to ask suppliers just yet. So that is just a few key people that I've asked and mm. trying to w- raise the awareness where I can. We're, yeah, We've um, organized a charity dinner on the 18th of September, which I'm hoping to kind of sell some tables to and get people along. We'll have some fabulous um, auction and raffle prizes. As part of Q Leukemia's partnership with ASL, we'll get a signed yellow jersey from this year's winner. So that'll be one of wow. the prizes and we're hoping to get a few other nice little pieces there too. Um, amazing. And amazingly, you know, we'll have, um, we'll have some entertainment. We'll have a bit of a drink and a bit of a laugh and a dance and hopefully raise some money for um, some wonderful people, not just the patients, uh, but also the nurses and all the care and everything that everybody does. I, I'm going to, I'm going to be partnered. I am partnered with Christie's hospital in Manchester. So we're hoping once we get through this particular restrictive period that i will mm. can perhaps get along and see some of the patients and some of the staff and see all the amazing work that goes on and yeah yeah i say i'm looking forward to it i'm also dreading it because i know i'm going to be a blubbering wreck and children just get to you in a way that perhaps others oh don't. i know so, yeah absolutely but it's definitely absolutely. motivation you know when you're um having tough days and you know the the training load currently you know i'll do 400 miles this week which you know, as you know, is, you know, 30 hours on the bike or 20, 30 hours, mm. you know, and it's going to build over the next couple of months. It's a lot of time, a lot of commitment, which everybody's mm. doing. But at the end of the day, it's a small sacrifice and a small bit of pain to pay for some of the 
battles and some of the bravery that some of these youngsters and and other people face. Um, yeah, every yeah. bit of respect to them because we don't we don't necessarily get a choice, do we? We just get dealt the hand we get, and we have to do the best we can. Absolutely, never take anything for granted. I'll put the link for your just giving site on yeah. the show notes, and um, I'll also you know when we when we promote the show and stuff, we'll put it on there too. But thank you for sharing that. And, and and also, it's an amazing thing to do. I mean, really and truly. And it's it's going to be epic. It's going to be bloody hard. Yep. But, you know, it's going to be one of those things that I think in five years' time, when you have a your next reflective moment, hopefully well, you have a few more before then, but in between yeah. then, but you're going to think, well, I'm so glad I did that. Well, it's um, hopefully if I do get through it and I don't uh, have any injuries between now and then, and hopefully we all ride the event uh, safely because it is going to be a challenge. Um, it will be something that you know is a real achievement in life, and hopefully, if the team achieves doing the event safely, but also our goal of raising a million pounds as a team too. I think we're at five hundred and sixty thousand yeah. as a team currently. It'll be it'll make a significant difference to an awful lot of people's lives, which is um, which is what it's about. And I think the one thing I would finish on, Steve, for me is. I'm very much guilty in the past of of reading stories and reading calls to action around events or work that people are doing. And I have a lot of respect for that, but I almost read it and don't do anything about it. And nobody's asking for any big gestures, but just, you know, just £10, just £5, just whatever mm. it, it does. The most important thing is to click and do it. Um, and I've often been guilty of that's a really worthwhile cause, you know, respect to them for doing that but in the past i haven't done as much as i could have done and you know in terms mm. of learnings and doing things going forward as we've talked about before hopefully i'll be in a position where i do take more action and help more people as you go on in life because you know you never know one day that might make the difference to us so yeah, yeah. absolutely that's a, a a really nice place to finish i think Okay. Um, you know, I can't thank you enough for your time. And no, um, I, I thank you. It's been nice to um, share some of my woes and uh, uh, open up a couple of boxes there. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's been um, it's been nice to talk to you. Hopefully, share the story with others and hopefully get a few few people just um, having a look at the um, the Tour Twenty One is a website. And there's a bit of information on there about all the team and what they're doing. There's going to be some coverage. I think Eurosport and local media are going to do some stuff on it. There's going to be some events through the Q Leukemia Cycling Club, which has been kind of formed on Strava. We'll have some Strava events. We've got some Zwift events. So as we get into the summer months, if you like your bike, there's plenty of ways to get involved with Q Leukemia and help all these wonderful people. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you very much, Gary. I really appreciate it. Okay. Take care, my friend. All the very best. Yeah. And, and I look forward um, to catching up with you soon. I need to talk to you about my wedding, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have a conversation soon about that. Yeah, All right. Did, you take I care. Did, I did suggest a cycling holiday, but that didn't go there well. So we maybe need to come up with something else. But Hazel, was she wasn't receptive to that idea then? No, no, strangely. Funny that. <laughs> Funny. Uh, anyway you take care good to catch up yeah all right all right take care buddy thanks Bye. bye 
Okay, what a guy Gary is. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to be able to do with the podcast is for it to be a platform to do great things. And I really hope this conversation will inspire you to sponsor Gary on his trip around France. If you Google Gary Apps Cure Leukemia, you'll get him straight away on Google. But I'll put the uh, links to the website on the show notes. It's going to be incredibly difficult. I mean, it's um, the fact that you're riding around France on a bike for, for three weeks is enough for me. But it's also, uh, he's doing it for a great cause. I know he's going to smash it so please give generously if you can no donation is too big and thanks for listening as always please don't forget to share the podcast with everyone you know your support is amazing i'm truly grateful and in ways that words could never convey properly so please stay well everyone keep stepping into the sunshine and live your best life take care